Good evening, everybody. How's it going? Good to see you all tonight. I'm Jordan, one of the pastors here at Mercy Culture Waco. Mercy Culture exists to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. And what, what we just experienced was a corporate encounter. And one of the, the biggest changes in my life was when I realized that what just happened in this room can happen every single day. That you can meet with the Lord just like that every single day, all the time. In fact, you can even walk with him like that all day long. And it was one of the, the, the biggest game changers in my life. So it's not just our, I mean, it is our vision, but it's not just our vision. Like we really mean it. It's not just a saying. Like we really exist to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. So take it to heart. Dig in and ask the Lord to teach you about those encounter times. He wants to encounter you every single day. And if you'd like to learn more about how you can encounter God and connect with him, uh, text connect to the number that comes up on your screen. You can go through the, the connect process. That's uh, the membership process that we have here. And the connect team will meet with you one-on-one -on -one and you'll, you'll take a series of assessments and learn how you best connect with the Lord. And at the end of it, you'll actually get to meet with someone on the team and they'll, they'll give you prophetic words as they've been seeking God's heart for you all week long. Uh, it's such a, a beautiful thing to be a part of. Uh, just go in. And if anybody's ever been a part of Connect, you know, you know what it's like. Uh, so I just encourage you guys, if you haven't gone through Connect yet, uh, don't miss out. If you're on the fence, just go ahead and text the number right now. And if you like the notes for today, you can also text the all-inclusive number if you'd like to follow along in the Bible app. Today we have a special guest. We have Pastor Matt Wakefield with us. So I was thinking a second ago, how do I introduce Pastor Matt? And I just asked the Lord, uh, what should I say? And I felt like the Lord said, he hears from me. And I don't really feel like I need to do any other introduction than that. Um, he hears from the Lord. And that's really all that matters. So we have a value of honor. If you guys would stand to your feet and welcome Pastor Matt Wakefield. How many love the presence of the Lord? There's nothing like it. The reality is we don't come for any other reason but for Him. Like we don't come even to sing worship songs for the sake of singing worship songs. We don't come to church to hear a word for the sake of hearing a word, but we come to see Him, to know Him, to encounter Him. And so Lord, we just take authority over every spirit and we just declare there's not any room, any place, not one inch for any spirit but the Holy Spirit. We declare it will not be tolerated in this tent, but also we declare and we speak to this city, the city of Waco, and we declare over the city of Waco that there will be no spirit but the Holy Spirit. We declare the Holy Spirit has full and complete access in the city of Waco. We declare Waco belongs to the Lord. We declare Waco is the Lord's. We declare Waco does not belong to religion. We declare Waco does not belong to Magnolia. We declare Waco does not belong 
belong to politicians. We declare Waco does not belong to the elite and those that say what's right and wrong. But we declare the city of Waco belongs to the kingdom of God. I wish I had some people to pray with me tonight. We declare the city of Waco belongs to the king, belongs to Jesus. It belongs to you, Jesus. So we just declare over the city of Waco, we will not tolerate the spirit of death. We will not tolerate the spirit of sickness. And we will not tolerate any injustices in this city. So we speak to the city of Waco. Be wide open. And let the king of glory come in. Father, we declare over the city of Waco that this is your hour. Not just for visitation. But we declare Waco this is your appointed hour for habitation. We declare that this is appointed hour for the city of Waco, for the glory of the Lord, for the presence and the power of the might of heaven to sweep through the streets of the city of Waco. And so, Lord, we declare and we prophesy tonight over the city of Waco. We see, be wide open. Be wide open. Be wide open. We say, Waco, open wide. For the King of glory to come in this place. We say, Waco, your inheritance is found in the Lord. We say, Waco, your days of trouble are over. And your days of transformation are upon you. So I took time the last couple of days to ask the Lord, aside from the message, the word that God had me bring for tonight, I said, God, is there anything you want to say beyond the message you want me to preach? And I heard the Lord say yes. And immediately he gave me a vision. In this vision, I saw the city of Waco and I saw the ground beginning to break up. And as the city and the ground was beginning to break up, I saw water coming from underneath, from within. And Amelia was led into the place of being reminded that when the heavens of the earth were created and God watered the ground, he didn't water it from above, but he watered it from within. And I just felt like the Lord says that Waco will be an Eden in this hour. And then the Lord led me in the same vision. And I saw these, these, these uh, uh, flowers just immediately begin to bloom, these purple flowers. I saw the distinct color, purple with yellow in the middle. And I said, God, what is this? And then the Lord led me to this passage in Isaiah chapter 35. I know it's a verse that's been prophesied over this house many times. But there's something that stood out that I've never seen before. The Lord led me to this passage, Isaiah 35, verse 1. It says, In the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice, and blossoms of the crocus shall blossom abundantly. That, 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 that word crocus, which is a flower, I didn't know what it meant, and so I went and looked it up. And it's a picture of a purple flower with a yellow middle. I just come to tell you tonight, come on, there's a bursting forth. There's a blooming that's going to happen in the city of Waco because of the glory of the Lord that pours out over this city. I just want to say this. God is not looking for a good church in the city of Waco. There's a lot of great churches here in this city. 
that God is doing amazing things. But you know what God is looking for? God is looking for a people that would host the glory of God. A people that would let the habitation of His presence come and rest and descend upon them. And I don't know about you, but I didn't come to preach a message tonight to a church. I feel like God asked me to step into a different space tonight. And when I prophesy, when I preach tonight, to speak to the city. To not just Mercy Culture Waco, but to speak to the destiny of this city tonight. And so I'm going to call you tonight into this place as you hear the word of the Lord and as you respond tonight into a place that God is doing something significant. God is doing something that I believe has the power to be life-altering, life-transformative. I heard this Holy Spirit as I was taking time worshiping and praying tonight. I just heard the Lord say, tell them deliverance is in this room tonight. So if you're in this room, before we get in the message, you just say, you know, I need freedom from something. Just lift up your hands right where you're at. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. You might, I mean, I need freedom from fear. I need freedom from pornography. I need freedom from whatever it is. Just put your hands up in the air. There's no shame in a condemnation. The reality is this. Those that have hearts that are tender to the Lord recognize there's another place of freedom, another place of deliverance. So come on, just hands up high. Lift up your hands high. Don't be ashamed. Come on, that you need deliverance, that you need freedom somewhere place tonight. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we just release the spirit of freedom in this house tonight. And Lord, we declare deliverance from every demonic stronghold, from every lie, every suggestive thought. God, everything that is enticed and intimidated, we commend its voice to be cut off tonight in Jesus' name. We declare no longer would you be intimidated by that voice. We declare tonight you would no longer give in to the, the pressure and to the, to the violence and to the non-slight of those demonic voices that are drawing you out of the covering of the Lord and bringing you in the place. I just heard the Lord say this, some of you feel violated by these demonic spirits. And I heard the Lord say tonight, you can find yourself in the shadow of my wings, in safety, in the comfort, in the protection of the Lord. So Father, we declare tonight, in the name of Jesus, we release your freedom over every person that's raised their hand. And I say to you in the name of Jesus, be free. Be whole. Holy Spirit, we just say tonight, would you release your touch of authority? Come on, just for a moment. Just yield yourself to the Lord. Just say you're holy, Lord. We just declare you're holy, God. Declare you're wonderful. We worship you and we adore you.
someone that has pain in their hand. I believe it's the right hand. So someone have pain or injury. That's, that's you. So I was worshiping tonight. I just saw a picture of a right hand and I heard the Lord say, I want to heal. What was your name? just a little bit just in this moment that'd be awesome would you just put your hands out in front of you like you're receiving a gift Lord we just release your healing touch now I say to your joints be restored be made whole see the Lord putting a a pen in your hand and I feel like the Lord says this that there's something he wants you to say for the world to hear
And Lord, I just pray that your glory come upon Shay right now. We say pain go. Pain go. I feel like the Lord didn't highlight you just to heal your your right hand, but I felt like the Lord highlighted you because he wants you to know he wants your voice. And I felt like the Lord is showing me that the enemy has tried to lock up your voice, try to make you be silent, try to make you be quiet and intimidated. And I heard the Lord say tonight, you're getting your voice back. You're getting your voice back. You're getting your voice back. I even feel like this is a season of transition for you. And I see you standing on this bridge and I see you walking over the bridge. And as you walk over this bridge, you're not going to remember the things that have been in your past. You're not going to remember the things that were said to you. You're not going to remember the moments where people have tried to hold you back. And I just feel like the Lord says, this is the season where you're crossing over. And not only will you see, but other people around you will see that you're a different person after tonight. And so, God, I just declare, God, release your authority upon her tonight. I command all pain to go, all discomfort to go, and your grace, Holy Spirit, to come. Would you just move your hand? Tell me if you know anything different. It's the same. It's changed. It's not changed. It's better, but it's hard to say. That's okay. God, we just thank you that, God, you began it, and so you're going to complete it. It can't stay the same. What was your name? You got the green sort of, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was your name? Anna? Okay, as soon as I walked in tonight, I walked in a few minutes late, and the Lord just highlighted you, and I heard the Lord say, tonight is your moment of breakthrough. And I feel like you've been in this internal wrestle, do, do I need to step forward, step back, step over here? I'm, I'm trying to help the sound people. You just let me know what I need to do. Is this better space? I'll just look over here. Okay, great. And I felt like the Lord says you've been in this internal battle, this internal struggle. But God says tonight, tell her the battle is over because I've already won the war. And I felt like the Lord said, not only have you been believing, but is, it, is this your husband? Okay, I don't, I'm going to make sure I don't put people together that aren't together. It's not a good thing to do sometimes. Well, no, I just brought my friend and my husband's at home. And, and I, trust me. I felt like the Lord said, though, the breakthrough isn't just for you, but the breakthrough is for your home, for your family. There's been things that you've been believing for. And it seems like every time you guys take a step forward, then all of a sudden it feels like you take two steps back. But I feel like the Lord says, you're only going forward in this season. You've made the decision to go forward and you can't go back. I felt like the Lord said there's lying voices from your past and other manipulative voices, like voices that almost would say, hey, you don't know what you've lost. You don't know what you've lost when you've made this decision to, to step forward. And I felt like the Lord says, you keep running forward. You keep running ahead and you won't, uh, you, you will see the breakthrough of the Lord in this season. And I felt like the Lord says, the things that you've believed for, that he wants to multiply those things in this season. You've believed 
for a few things. God says, I'm about ready to blow your mind in this season. I'm about ready to do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or imagine. And then I felt like the Lord says, get ready. This is a season of promotion for you. This is a season of promotion. I don't know if it's happening in a job or where it's happening, but God says, this is a season of promotion for you guys. And so all you have to do is simply say, yes, Lord. And when you do that, you're going to step into all the amazing things God has for you in this season. Amen. Is there someone in this room and you're believing for a family member to be healed of cancer? All right. That's amazing. I say that's amazing, not that, like, that's amazing someone's wrestling with cancer. I was over here and I, 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 the way that God primarily speaks to me is through visionary experiences. So I was standing over here and as I was praying, I saw a vision of a woman back here in the back and I heard the Lord say, I was going to release healing tonight. Is, is that mom, dad, who's that? Mom, what's your mom's name? Manadora. Well, spirit of cancer, we command you in the name of Jesus, by the authority of the name of Jesus. Get out of this body now. Get out of this body now. We command you to leave and to never come back in the name of Jesus. And I just declare, God, over this entire family, we declare generational curses are being broken. We declare generational curses are being broken. We declare the spirit of infirmity that is visited generation after generation in the woman. And I feel like there's like in this midsection area, there's been generational uh, infirmities that happen. And I felt like the Lord says that he's breaking generational infirmity on the women that have been in this family. And I heard the Lord say, you will not face the same things that previous generations have faced. And so God, we just declare right now in Jesus' name. I just heard the Lord say, yes, it is true. I I felt like I heard this lie from the enemy. This is too good to be true. And I said, yeah. And I heard the Lord say, no, tell her, yes, it is true. Yeah, it is. It's too good, but it's true. He's just that good. He's just that good. And it's just that easy. And so this is what I felt like the Lord says, this week you're going to see the sign and the wonder of it being completely done and completely finished in your family's life. So God, we just declare over this home, this family, the spirit of infirmity, the generational spirit of infirmity is broken off and we declare, Imam, you are free from cancer in Jesus' name. Amen. Is there someone by the name of Michelle? Is there a Michelle in the room? Michelle, I felt like when I, when I was praying, I wrote Michelle down, and then I, I said, God, what are you saying? And the Lord said, it's actually not somebody in the room, but there's someone that was believing for Michelle. So does Michelle make sense to someone that's here tonight? Is that name a family member? Yeah, back there in the back. Can you just yell it as loud as you can? Who's that to you? Your nail tech. Is that what you said? So the lady that does your nails? Okay, this is what I just heard the Lord say is, when you go next time, put your hands on her, pray for her, and declare the word of the Lord over her. So we declare over Michelle, you're getting saved. You're getting saved. You're getting delivered. You're getting saved. You're getting delivered. I hear the Lord say that he's visiting Michelle, and where there was a brokenness to a fam- in her family, where there was a, a tearing and a separation in her family, God says you're going to be the peace that helps bring pieces together. And so we declare, God, today, Michelle is going to encounter the presence of the Lord in Jesus' name. Come on. Can you give Jesus a hand clap tonight? Amen. Will we give uh, 
give this young man, you got to remind me your name, uh, on the keys, hand clap. Come on. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. Well, how many are ready to get in the Word tonight? All right, that's a couple of you. How about the rest of you? Hey, come on. Well, I'm excited. I actually reached out to Pastor Les. I was scheduled to preach tonight on the gift of prophecy. And then about a month ago, I reached out to Pastor Les and, hey, Pastor Les, I don't want to mess up the flow or anything. I said, but as I was praying, the Lord kept on speaking to me about this passage and said that it was for the Waco campus. And he, he gave me this word. And so I just said, I said, I, I just submit it to you. You tell me what you want to do with it, you know, where you want me to go. And so uh, he reached out a couple days afterwards and he said, yeah, I think you should preach it on, on this Sunday. And then we'll create another moment for you to come back and preach on the gift of prophecy. And so tonight... I'm going to preach something I believe is a prophetic word for this house tonight, for this campus, specifically Mercy Culture Waco. And uh, if you have your Bibles, let's open to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Got a lot of of word to read through tonight. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Come on, when you get there, say amen. If not, it'll be on the screen for you. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Come on, all those uh, electronic Bible people. All you do is just hit the, hit the button. It takes you straight there. Gotta, ain't got to remember the order, the, the, the way, the flow, the Bible goes. So it says here, in starting verse 1, And David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. And he all the men, uh, he and all his men went in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim of the ark. And they set the ark of God in a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahu, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart while the ark of God was on it. And Ahu was out, out walking in front of it. And David, all of Israel, were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with harps and lyres and trembles and sistrums and cymbals. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against him. And to this day it's called the place place Perez-Uzzah. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark or the presence of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told the Lord had blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. And so David went up to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. And while he, he and all of Israel bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of the trumpet, and as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, uh, Mike, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when, he, uh, when she saw the king David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. I came to tell you tonight that expanding territory will happen when you restore the priestly order. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just ask, help us to have your heart, your mind, and have revelation. We just declare tonight, no spirit but the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would speak, Lord, your servants, 
they are listening to hear what you have to say tonight in Jesus' name. Well, this year is a year where we have the word of the Lord for, for this year for Mercy Culture, both Waco and Fort Worth and any other future campuses will come, as this is the year of expanding territory. We get this from Second, uh, First Chronicles chapter 4, where Jabez prayed this prayer, and he called out to God saying, Oh, if you would bless me indeed and enlarge or expand my territory, that, the hand, that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm or evil so that I might not bring pain. And so this year we're stewarding this word and, and, and as we were stewarding this word and praying into this, I, as I mentioned earlier, I, I submitted to Pastor Les this, this thing that I felt in my spirit about restoring priestly order. We see prior to this moment, we see in 1 Samuel chapter 4, is Israel, they went out to battle and they were so used to God's presence being with them, they, they actually just went out and forgot to bring the ark. And so they went out and all of a sudden, they're, they're defeated by the Philistines, and they're like, oh, that's right, we forgot the ark. We forgot the presence. Let's go back. And so they, they take the ark, they carry it into battle, and all of a sudden, they just think this is a sure guarantee. They're going to win the battle. They're going to win the victory. And yet, they were defeated again. And they're like, what is happening? And as they were defeated, they not only were just defeated, but they actually lost the ark. And so the ark went into to, uh, the armies of the Philistines for some, some days and some weeks. And through that process, the Philistines actually were struck with tumors and plagues because of the, the, the wrath of God for the awe of God, for they didn't reverence God like Israel did. And so they're like, we got to do something with this. And so they offer these, these tokens, these gifts to Israel. And they take the ark and they put it on a cart and they, they let the oxen go. And they say, if this is a, the hand of the Lord upon us, uh, uh, Israel's God, then we know if it goes up, then God will remove this. And all of a sudden, all the plagues stop, the tumors stop, and this went. And so these people find it that are, are God's people. They see it and they're like, wow, the ark's back. And yet they didn't know what to do. And so they came and they took it and they set it in this house, the house of Abinadab. If you go and study scriptures, it's really interesting because different commentaries see different things. Some people say that uh, Israel was without the presence or out the ark for 20 years because we read in this place that was at the house of, of Abinadab for 20 years. Yet, we see that prior to this moment, they lost the presence or lost the ark, and Saul was not yet king. We see later on, the Bible says that Saul was king for 40 years. And so we know that for 40 years, Israel's without the presence. And then David becomes king, and he becomes king for seven and a half years. And for seven and a half years, he's king over just Judah. But once he gets anointed as king over all of Israel, the very first act of David is, we must have the presence of God back in Israel. So after 48 years of being accustomed to a life without the presence, David says, my first act as king is we have to get the presence of God back in Israel. It's interesting that many times as believers, we can get so accustomed to doing church that we forgot what it was like to have a life without the presence. In such a way that sometimes we don't even know the difference between when God's presence is just everywhere and God's presence manifests somewhere. 
We see all throughout different places in Scripture, people losing the presence, and yet they operated the same way, like as if they didn't know any difference. We see uh, the Nazarite. We see Samson, this man of God that was separated even from birth. The Bible said he was full of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he was a Nazarite at birth, and he lived this life of separation, but through a life of compromise, he began to give into this place of, of Delilah, and he gave him the suggestions and give in to the opportunities, and it says, surely I'll just break away like I did other, every other time, and he breaks away. The Philistines are upon you, and he breaks away, and then he comes to this place after Delilah cuts his hair, and he wakes up, as she says, the Philistine is upon you, and it says this, that surely I will break free like all other times. But he did not know the Lord was not with him. It's interesting, David comes to this moment after 48 years of the presence of the Lord not being in the nation of Israel not being the forefront, not being a presence-driven community. And his very first act is we have to get the presence of God back. And yet, as he tries to bring the presence back, there's something that happens. Tonight, the title of this message is, It's Time to Restore the Priestly Order. See, you can't walk in prophetic clarity and kingly authority without first restoring priestly order. Let me tell you a little bit about the Old Testament. There's three roles in the Old Testament that God anointed. We have the priest, we have the prophet, and the king. With the priest, which his main role was to minister to God on behalf of men. The prophet's main role was to minister to man on behalf of God. And the king's role was to establish God's rule and reign on the earth as if it was in heaven. See, however, when God established his kingdom rule on the earth, he did not start by raising up kings. He started by anointing and separating priests. I think sometimes we think that it's our gift, our charisma, our ability, our passion that's going to bring presence. And the reality is this, it's a life that's laid down that causes glory to show up. The Bible says this in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. It says, you shall, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. In Revelation chapter 1, so in the beginning and the end, we see the same thing. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, it says, you are a kingdom of priests. See, the role of a priest primarily is to minister to God, which consisted of two things. Their life was a life that was marked with intimacy, in intercession. If we want the glory of God in our lives, in our church, in our city, in our nation, it doesn't come because you have a gift. It comes because you have a life of intimacy and intercession. See, the high call of God, you know what it is? It's to minister to God. It's interesting, we look at Samuel, who we recognize as the first prophet in the Old Testament. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 2, he's called to be a prophet. Yet prior to being a prophet, he's recognized and seen as a priest. The Bible says that he was wearing the linen ephod, ministering to the Lord. The reason why I believe Samuel had the level of authority as a prophet, as a man of God who could declare the word of the Lord, who could see things that were to come, is not because he had just revelation and wisdom coming to him, but because he had a heart that was going to him. 
See, when we minister to God, God doesn't have a problem ministering through us. I think the challenge of culture is so many times we're fixated on ministry here when God is simply looking for ministry here. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, you are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light, and now he claims you as his very own. He did not do this so that you would broadcast, or he did this so you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. See, we see this, that we are priests who are kings, not kings who are priests. That means this, that my identity is a priest and my function is a king. I think so often we can mistake this. David mistakes this. And so after all these years being a king, he was a warrior. He was a savage. He's the one that fought the lion, the bear, the one that stood up against Goliath. And all he knew his entire life is fighting battles, taking down giants, kicking butts, and taking names. And yet he comes to this moment and he approaches this situation looking for the presence and looking for the glory of God back. And so here's how he approaches it. Let's bring 30,000 elite fighting men and let's bring the presence of the Lord back. He got so used to fighting for God that he forgot how to have a friendship with God. Let me propose tonight that we can get so used to being in the battle of spiritual warfare, fighting for our city, fighting for our neighbor, fighting for, you know, our nation, fighting for righteousness, fighting for, you name it, fill in the blank, fighting for the end of Roe versus Wade in, in every state, fighting for, for, for women to find value and purpose, fighting for all these things. And so we get, get so used to being in the fight that when we approach God, we're fighting for his presence instead of fighting from the revelation he already gave us his presence. See, David brought warriors for a battle, not worshipers and weepers for a breakthrough. I'll say it one more time. He brought warriors for a battle, not worshipers and weepers for a breakthrough. The ark was in this house, Obed-Edom's house, between 20 and 48 years. Again, I said different theologians have different perspectives on this. And these two sons, the two sons of Abinadab, got so used to growing up around the presence that they got familiar with the presence. I want to ask you the question, have you got so used to being around the presence that you're familiar with it? You know all the right moments to dance. You know, all the right moments to lift your hands. You know, all the right moments. Okay, I feel it now. Like, come on, come on let's pray in tongues. Like, you know, all the right things to do. And you got so familiar that instead of letting the presence lead you, you're guiding the presence. They come to this place and they got so you so familiar to it that they did what the Philistines did. Instead of the ark, which should have been carried on the shoulders of priests, they put it on, as the Bible says, a new cart. Why is this significant? Because it's easier to transport the presence on a cart than it is on four people that have to feel the weight. Let me just say this. You know what I love? about having to be in a tent 
setting up and tearing down, coming in 105 degree heat with as many air conditioning units you can get in here that the city will allow you to have, sweating your mind out. Because you can't get you comfortable. You can't move quickly in that environment. I think so many times we are trying to get from point A to point B. We're trying to change the city. We're trying to get recognized. We're trying to be known. We're trying to be the church. We're trying to be, you fill in the blank. And what we do is we say, okay, God, thank you for the presence. Let me just put it on this cart right now. And we're just going to push it along. And we're going to do this little show. And we're going to show how amazing and how awesome you are to all the people. And he's like, no, I'm not going to be one that's just going to be prostitute. for your glory and for your gain. I'm not going to be one that's just going to be pushed around and told what to do and how to do and going to pray super prayers. I love the revelation that a man like Bill Johnson, after his wife passing away through the battle of cancer, instead of staying at home and weeping and mourning, he stands up to a church and he says, there's things about God you could not know unless you go through the place of suffering. Could it be that we've just made God a pull the slot machine God? What happens when he doesn't respond the way you think he should respond? What happens when he doesn't do the things you think he should do? What happens when he doesn't answer the prayer at the time you think he should answer the prayer? What happens when it takes you 17 years for believing God for children? And you're like, God, are you going to ever hear me? I know what your Bible says. I know what the promise says. Are you ever going to do this thing? God, what happens when the things don't go the way you think it should go? Are you going to be like Uzzah and try to manufacture something? Try to stabilize and help the presence. Let me just help you out, God, for just a moment. You're really good and you do miracles, but let me just help you show how cool you are by me being cool for a moment. Uzzah comes to this place and he puts his hand out to try to stop the ark from falling over. Could it be that on the new car, God says, I'm not the one that's trying to do a new thing. I know we've preached it upside, downside. We've preached it three times, four times. You've probably heard it. God's doing a new thing. God's doing a new thing. Can I just be reality? God is an ancient of days. He's not doing something new. He's always done something, and we have to just step in what he's doing. The reality is this. We're looking for spontaneous, sudden outpoints, but the reality is God doesn't do anything spontaneous. We look at this moment, it's not spontaneous. It's a man who understood or who lacked understanding of the protocol, the protocol of heaven, of how God should be treated, how God wants to be referenced. See, just because it's fresh and new and spontaneous doesn't mean it's God. So many of us are trying to do a new thing and experience a fresh thing, and the reality is this, so often we're abandoning the commanded thing. Let me just help you for a moment. You don't need a new word from God. Just obey the last word. Let me say it from this side over here. You don't need a word from God. You just need to obey the last word from God. 
And you know what God's word says? Is obey me. If you love me, then obey my commandments. If we need a new revelation, a new word, let me just help you. You are missing the reality of a holy God calling forth. He's not here to try to make you feel better. In fact, the Bible says this, if any man will come after him, you must deny yourself. He's not trying to make men. He's not trying to promote men. He's actually trying to kill men. And we think so often we can come in the presence because it's going to make me feel better. It's going to help me get through the day. It's going to help me love. And Let me just be honest. If you come into contact with the reality of a holy God, that's not what's happening. He's trying to deal with all the things in your life. See, there's so many times we can see the fire of God, but we can still be on the outer courts. The Israelites, they stood on the outer courts and they saw the fire when it fell on the tent of meeting when Moses went in. So many of us, we want to feel the presence of God. You know what? You could feel the presence of God, but still be only in the holy place and never see the face of God. I think so often we stop prematurely short of coming to a place of encountering the fullness of God. Let me give you a word of caution. Don't mistake spiritual essence for spiritual encounter. Don't mistake spiritual essence, ooh, I feel him in the room, for spiritual encounter. I remember some years ago at the last church we are at, uh, we have friends of ours from Seattle in the area. They're in town for a little bit. Kevin and Diane back there in the back. Kevin, Diane, Mitchell. And uh, they all knew this person, Pastor Neela, at the last church we were at. And uh, one day I got into the elevator at our church. And as I got in the elevator, I'm like, man, I smell this perfume. And I'm like, I, I think I've smelled that before. So I get out of the elevator and I have a meeting a little bit later on with Pastor Neil in her office and we're talking and stuff. And I feel, I smell that same essence again. And I'm like, ah, it's Pastor Neela. So you know what happens? Next time I get in the elevator, I smell that essence. This is a reality. Pastor Neela was there, but she's not there. What happens is some of us times, some of us smell the fragrance of God or feel the presence of God, but he's not there. And so we stop in elevators with essence, with perfume. And we're like, wow, whoo, this is just so amazing. Don't you feel him right now? Whoo, I feel him. And he's like, stop looking for a feeling and push into my face. Push beyond what you see. Push beyond what you feel until you come to the place where you actually see God. It's always the weakness of men that attracts the greatness of God. His name means strength. He was trying to think it was in his strength he can maintain the presence. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, more gladly, I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, God's grace does not rest upon your strength and your gift, but it rests upon your weakness and your insufficiency. I don't think we know the weight of glory of His presence until you come 
to the place where you're at the end of your self. I remember a moment where I was just a young man. I grew up in the church my whole life, knew about God, heard about God, saw powerful moments in services like this with God and prophetic words happening and people getting out of wheelchairs. I would go with my dad on missions trips and we'd see blind eyes open and all these crazy things. I was in the right environment. And I, I felt like maybe even at times I had a right heart. But yet, I didn't have the right approach. Fast forward years later and I give my life fully to Jesus. I go to Northwest University, a Bible college in Kirkland, Washington. And I committed my life when I was there. I have one ambition, one pursuit. I want to know God. There was a little men's dorm just under, uh, uh, at the bottom uh, uh, of the men's, men's uh, uh, dorms or men's chapel. And I would go in there. It was literally probably maybe a little bit bigger than this little square rug here. I would go in there every day. And I remember a moment where I walked in one day. This was after some, some months of praying and seeking the Lord and really, really just wanting Him. That the presence of the Lord walked into that room. And when I say that, I'm not talking about me having a feeling or me even just sensing or discerning the Lord, but walked in in such a way that the terror of God came upon my life. And the only thing I knew to do is just lay down because I didn't want to look in case I saw His face. And it terrified me. And I remember after an hour of laying, as John said it in the book of Revelation, laying like a dead man, getting up and coming from that moment, I didn't do anything. But I came out of that moment and I had an authority on my life I never knew. From that moment, a revival broke out at our university where hundreds and hundreds of kids who don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit got baptized. People, just the power of God would come into a room like this and people just, uh, just simultaneously just start falling out in the power of God. And the glory of God just showed up. And then I, I put my, my kingly garment on. And I wanted to show everybody how amazing and kingly and royal and powerful I was for the king. Of course, it's, it's all for him. It's, it's all Jesus. It's just him. And God for a season stripped away the authority of God in my life because I, like David, begin to do things in my own strength and my own might trying to think that this is what would please the Lord, being more powerful and mighty. They come to a place, the Bible says in this text, to Nashon's threshing floor. As the oxen stumble, the ark falls over, Uzzah reaches out and God strikes him. I want to say this, every one of us will have a come to a threshing floor. If we don't come to a threshing floor experience, we won't have a throne room encounter. This word Threshing floor is actually, the, or the word nakon is a word that means to be prepared. Can I just say this? None of us are prepared for what God wants to do. None of us are prepared for what God wants to do. This word prepared breaks down into two words. The, 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 the first part, pre, which means before, and pair, which means to cut away. 
Meaning this, before an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there must be a preparation, a must be a cutting away before there is a outpouring. Anybody have a parry knife at their house? Just to cut the out, outer, maybe fruit or something on the skin or maybe a, a, on, a, on a fish or something. It's to cut away the external. See, if we really want the glory, and I'm not talking about our good service, but we want the presence, the weight of heaven to fill this church and to fill this city, God will have to prepare you. He will have to cut away things in your life. He will have to bring you to the place of cutting away and dealing with anything that you've put your confidence and strength in that is not the presence of the Lord. See, if we're not discerning though, we will treat the threshing of the Lord like the threatening of the enemy. Let me just lean into that for just a moment. The Lord taught me this. We've had a lot of staff members, a lot of people this last week going through spiritual warfare. And then I asked the Lord, I said, God, what's happening? And he says, I'm preparing people. And I don't want to say about anybody else, but I'm just talking about myself. I thought it was spiritual warfare, meaning I thought I was dealing with a demonic spirit. And what it was is God was trying to thresh my life. God was trying to strip things from my life. He was trying to remove things I put confidence and weight and opinion in, trying to put the fear of man on my life. And I can look at it as a demonic spirit, or I can look at it as something God tried to strip from my own life. So don't mistake the threshing of God in your life for the threatening of the enemy. This is how we know the difference. One tries to tell you to sit down and shut up. The other tries to tell you, you know what? You can rise above this, but you can't have this in your life. So often we discern what God is doing is the strategy of darkness. And so we resist and we push back when really this is the hand of the Lord doing this. How do we know that in your discernment you're fighting against an unknown enemy? You can't put your finger on it. You're like, I don't know, I've just been fighting this thing. And, like, ah. and you're like swinging and you're like, you don't know what you're fighting against. That's a clear sign that God's trying to thresh your life. The enemy's not threatening it. But he will try to manipulate it and he will try to pervert it. And so what you will do is you will start trying to fight against the devil when what you're doing is actually resisting God. Says this, that David comes to this moment, he's like, I can't do this. Man, what is it going to take to have the presence of the Lord back in the city of David? What is it going to take to have the presence of the Lord and this is what we all come to, this moment, where we will have to count the cost. I'll be authentic for a moment. This week, so I was talking about that situation with spiritual warfare. I had a moment, I, in the last two weeks, there's three days out of those two weeks, I didn't sleep the whole night. Part of it was demonic and the enemy doing things, but part of it and I would say probably the majority of it, God was trying to sift things and thresh things in my life, but I was, just be honest, I was undiscerning. I was too arrogant and proud to discern what the Lord was doing that I was thinking the enemy was attacking me instead of that Lord calling me to go lower 
and go deeper. Had a moment three days ago and I'm in the middle of the night. It's, it's I don't know, 1.30 in the morning, 2 in the morning. And I'm at this place and this is what I'm saying in my head but also out loud. I don't know if I could do this anymore. I might as well just give up and not be in ministry anymore. Now, hear me. I've never said that ever in my entire life in the 24 years of being in full-time ministry. What God is saying is this, is Matt, to go where you, call, you feel like I'm calling you, you can't be the same person you've been. Because you can't carry my glory in the condition of trying to stand just as a king who has authority. But you can only carry it in a position of being a priest who goes lowly. So David takes it and he sends it to Obed-Edom's house. Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Gittite means wine press. To carry the presence of God, you must be crushed by the presence and the press of His presence. I think so often this is where we stop. Because no one wants to be crushed. Paul says it this way though, he was struck down but not abandoned. He was crushed. Paul of all people in the New Testament, which carried the glory that when people came in the room, they were healed and delivered. Paul carried such glory, the Bible, or he's going to say this, that when he was locked up in prison, they would move the other prisoners every hour because if they had an hour in the presence of Paul, they were converted. That's glory. Glory isn't this. Oh, I feel his presence. Glory is the goodness of God revealed and demonstrated. Meaning this, when glory shows up, it does something. It doesn't just cause you to feel something. And so when God's glory comes, the first thing that will happen, it will crush you. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says this, I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live. That word I is the word ego. If you want to carry glory, your ego must be crushed. I was in a moment just talking to the Lord this couple months ago now, and it's just at the altar at our, our, our Fort Worth campus, and I was just there by myself. And I was just worshiping the Lord, and I, I was feeling really good about myself and the presence of the Lord. I felt Him. It was good. It was awesome. And then He spoke. And he said, Matt, you like to be seen. And I'm like, and just let me tell you this. It's not good to argue with God. <laughs> like, no, God, I don't. I'm, I'm trying to hide myself. You just say, yes, you're right. I do. I like to be seen. Like, I like to be heard. I like to be known. And this is what happened. I had to go to the person who is a oh, person who helps steward my life, a person who, who, who part of our pastoral team. So I went to Pastor Abe and I just said, hey, Pastor Abe, can we talk and stuff? He goes, yeah, let's talk. And so he goes, he said, hey, Pastor Matt, I want to submit something and share something with you that the Lord's been speaking to you about. 
I said, okay. I said, I want to tell you something that God is dealing with me about. He goes, okay, cool. You go first, and then I'll share with you. So I tell him, I said, the Lord just told me two days ago, I like to be seen, and I recognize it's true, and I, I need to deal with that in my life. And he says, wow, that's amazing. I'll have to tell you what the Lord told me, because that's the exact same thing I heard the Lord say. I know, I'm not, I'm not as spiritual as you guys in this room, but I'm just trying to be honest about my carnality and my, my place that God's trying to crucify things in my life. Because the reality is this, we can't carry glory being an uncrucified people. This is what the Lord said about this to me as I was praying, praying and preparing this message. He says, to get the presence, you have to go through the cross. I'll say it one more time for those people in the back. That's a figure of speech, not literally for the people that are in the back like... There's this for Kevin back there in the back. <laughs> to get the presence, you have to go through the cross. If any man desires to come after me, or could we say it this way? If anyone desires to come into the presence and see me face to face, he must deny Himself. This idea of himself, again, is this idea of denying your ego, that which wants to promote yourself or say, look at me or, 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 or take credit about something or, 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 or lift yourself up or make yourself think you're more highly than you ought. says he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. See, it was not until David removed his kingly garment could he enter the king's glory. Only one king will remain. Only one king can remain. And it wasn't until David was reminded and restored the priest of the order. He goes, like, that's right. We need the priest to carry the ark. It's the only way for it to come back to the city of David. And so he stripped off Everything he identified with, he stripped off what he gained for as a name for himself. He stripped off and took off his crown and took off his kingly garment and he put on the linen ephod, the garment of a priest. What's interesting about this is that priests are priests by lineage. But yet there's another opportunity to enter into the priesthood. It's called through Nazarite rights. It's through love. I love this revelation because this means this, that every person, regardless of lineage, Old Testament, New Testament, can become a priest and come near to God. If you simply make a vow of love and affection. Maybe part of what we need to cut off, tear away, and remove is the things that we've put confidence and trust in so we can come back to the place where what we identify with most is simply being a son and a daughter that need his presence above everything else. David comes and it says that he, after every six steps they stopped and they offered a Sacrifice. Estimating the mileage is about 12 miles from Obed-Edom's house to the city of David. It's about 12 miles of stopping after six steps and offering another sacrifice to the Lord. 
after six steps stopping and one more time, oh God, you're worthy, you're holy, you're holy, you're holy. Offering a sacrifice. Six more steps, God, you're worthy, you're holy, you're holy. What kind of sacrifice are you willing to pay to have the glory of God in your life? What things has the Lord been speaking to you and putting his finger on? Let me say this, I'm not talking about what kind of sins he's asking you to remove, but I'm talking about what kinds of things that he's asking you to sacrifice, let go of. I know for some of you it's a sacrifice. You were maybe living in Fort Worth and you sold everything and you moved here to be part of this community. Maybe for others, the Lord's asking to sacrifice time or sacrifice money or sacrifice something else. But I know this, everyone will be required to sacrifice something if you want to carry the glory of God. Why? Because your worship would only just cost you something. Can I say it this way? It will cost you everything. When I was asking the Lord, I said, God, why are you asking me to preach this message? I, I like preaching stuff where people are shouting. That, that's me coming back to my ego, liking to be seen and needing to die. Because God's given the invitation to this church not to be a great church or a good church that entertains or feels the essence of presence, but He's given us an invitation to carry glory, to carry the weight of His presence, to carry the reality of who He is. See, what it costs you may be considered a waste by others, but it's worship to Him. And have the worship team come. They take six steps. They offer sacrifice. They worship with all their might. Could it be that what God is looking for you or looking from you is not your gift? Not your talent. He's not even necessarily looking for your money. Maybe time. But he's looking for you to completely come to the end of yourself. I think for every one of us in this room, in some place, we're wearing the king's robe. We feel confident, we feel strong, we feel gifted, we feel talented, we feel, ah, this is awesome, God's blessing me, I got this business and it's thriving, or whatever it is. And we can begin to lean upon that. There's a simple verse in Proverbs chapter three. I think it's probably one of my most Favorite verses, but it's a simple verse. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. 
Uzzah comes to this moment. And because he was familiar with the presence, he leaned on what he thought he knew. And what he thought he knew when he became familiar with struck him dead because he didn't really know him. I think for many of us in this room, including myself, we think we know something about something. We're doing this exercise with our pastors and one of the assignments that was asked recently of us to do is write a paper on what you know about God. And I'm like, what would I write about? I started thinking about it and I'm like, I can write about our story and our testimony of believing God for 17 years. I know He's faithful. I can write about all the moments God did supernatural things in our life and provided for supernatural finances. $22,000 of credit card debt erased in one moment where a credit card company says, we don't have this policy, but we're going to write it off. I could go through the list of listing all these things I know about the attributes and the characteristics of who God is. And yet, if I think about it, and if I'm honest, and when I'm in the presence of the Lord face to face, and everything's stripped away, and the frailties of life, and the frustrations of situations, and the pains and the heartaches of yesterdays, and all those things grow small and dim in His presence, I think Paul come to this one thought. I resolve to know nothing. Because the moment I think that I begin to know something about God is the moment all of a sudden he reveals a revelation about his nature, about his goodness, about his kindness, about his fierceness, about his intensity, about his holiness in a way that I've never seen and I've never known. And I thought, wow, I thought I knew God, but I really don't know him. And then the next day I go into an encounter with the Lord and all of a sudden he surprises me one more time and he speaks to me one more moment and he whispers into me the depths of my soul one more time and I once again am kissed with the kisses of his love and I come to this place and all over again all I can do is like the 24 elders is take off my crown take off my kingly garment Take off the external things, the things I put confidence and trust and weight in and just get before Him and see Him in a way I've never seen Him before. This is the beauty of heaven that the angels for 24-7 eternity from before we even understand time, their only revelation about God is holy, holy, holy. 
holy and they say it all over again. Why? Not because they forgot about it. Not because they needed us to be reminded here on the earth. Not so it could be written in scripture so we could read this and know he's holy. But this is the revelation that's always unfolding, always coming forward. And this is the revelation. If God is holy, all together separate, there's none like him. Then there's a place that we can enter into the presence and the glory of God strips everything else away. be willing to pay any price. We'd be willing to count any cost. Because when you encounter glory, you're not satisfied with anything else. We had the privilege at our last church for 270 some days have the presence, the tangible weightiness of God come and fill a room and stay. I don't know about you, I've tasted too much of His goodness to do church. I've tasted too much of His glory to just want to do another great service. And I am just like David coming to the place once again and saying, ah, what is it going to cost me? And wondering, am I once again willing to count the cost, pay the price? This is a question I want to ask you tonight. Would you give it all? Would you pay the price? Will you count the cost? That might be hours of prayer and intercession tonight. That might be getting up at three in the morning. I'm not telling you what it looks like or how it looks, but I do know this. God will demand it and God will call it from every one of us if we want the weight of glory. If you want God's glory, the weight of heaven to come and fill your life, this is what I want you to do. I just want you to step out of your seat wherever you want. Come find a place in this altar. Get in the middle aisles. Get in the chair in front of you. Whatever you need to do. And I want you just to find a place where you lift up your voice and you let the cry of heaven, you let the cry and the groan of your spirit no longer be inhibited by your natural, no longer be inhibited by your external temporal things. And I want you just to let your cry, let your voice rise to heaven. See, there's a demand from heaven that is looking for a people where glory can rest on them, where the weightiness of presence, where the weightiness of his authority, where the power and the might of break seems to place us. So across this room, come on, let's lift up our voices. Come on, just abandon yourself to the Lord. It doesn't have to look pretty. Come on. Come on, it was six steps and bloody mess. It was six steps and oil all over. It was six steps and crazy shouting. It was six steps and and cymbals and, and, and instruments and drums. And they were just going crazy because the only thing that mattered is God's glory returning to the city. 